0: Hey there folks, just wanted to chime in real quick before we start the episode off and just give a shout out to our sponsors for this episode. And it is from both companies that we appreciate a lot here at Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, That is the Criterion Collection and Arrow Video. Good folks at both of the places there. We love the work they do putting out these amazing restorations, Blu-rays, so movie geeks like us can appreciate them at home. But uh, also they even uh, put Some of these releases out in cinemas, which is something to shout out for. Um, I remember seeing Arrow Video's restoration of Donnie Darko uh, not long ago at my theater where I work. So uh, they are getting in on the theatrical and the home video realm, which is a positive thing for people that love movies. So if you love movies, if you love this podcast, then you should, you know, you probably already know about these places, but uh, give a shout out and give a look out for some of the deals they might have coming up. It's always worth to add more more of those awesome Blu-rays to your collection. So we thank Arrow Video. We thank the Criterion Collection. There'll be more specific shoutouts of releases coming up uh, on some upcoming episodes, no doubt. Why don't we drop you into the show now? Thanks. Helplessly hoping her heart licking hovers nearby and waiting Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, we're gonna. I, th- I think we're gonna have. A, we got a lot to talk about in this episode. I think there's. I think we're gonna take many turns down many lanes. It's gonna be a layered episode. Like, yeah,
1: it's going to be a lot of threads to keep track of that hopefully were, you know, enough of a, uh, an auteur that we could keep them all straight and all compelling in their own ways. Yeah, You know, yeah. lots of subplots to follow.
0: Exactly, exactly. Subplots abound, uh, themes abound, many things to discuss, just like the, the two main movies we're going to look at today. But um, before we really you know get into what I think will be our more substantial review which is for uh the the new Alex Garland movie Annihilation which you know we 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 knew this would happen it would open up get a bunch of the great reviews it's getting we we tend to like movies like this and it it suffered but it suffered at the box office but uh not all is lost we'll, we're going to get to that but uh i think we're going to really open up on a movie um that we did not like as much it's safe to say to start uh, and one that um, is confusing on so many levels. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's guilty of a lot of things that are, you know, promising for, for avenues like Netflix that are trying to make original content, put new stuff out there, give an, you know, uh, fill a void for an audience like you and I that wants a certain kind of movie to get made more. Uh, and there's issues abound there, but uh, you know that this is this is a lot going on with this this new this new movie Mute. I'm going to stop dragging it out and just put it out there. Um, Shut the fuck. Up.
1: You benefit <laughs> from taking the leads, you know, affliction. And just kidding. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's but, let's just start there, man. Uh, so
1: to conflate the two movies a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. Mute and Annihilation, they're not entirely dissimilar in terms of like you know their their appeal. They're both from. Two directors that mostly dabble in science fiction-themed films, uh, both British Mm -hmm. and um and like both have like a you know pretty iconic first feature film uh debut. Duncan Jones, director of Mute with Moon, and uh Alex Garland with Ex Machina. You know, he'd been a writer for some time, uh having written 28 Days Later uh never let me go that or is, is it correct. never let you go Never let me go Okay the sequel is never let you go Um <laughs>
0: Good movie by the way that's an un, that's a that's a little gem of a film I'd say
1: Yeah very quiet mm. very, Um so So both, both films are kind of like an example uh, just on paper of types of films that like are kind of in danger of getting kind of squeezed out of what the, the theatrical experience has become, which is largely just a, a sort of Disney slash Marvel slash Star Wars, you know, like monopoly of, you know, like just modern cinemas. And so You know, places like Netflix, where Mute uh, premiered last Friday, are giving, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, they're giving opportunities to very, like, unique directors that have enough of a following and giving them just sort of carte blanche to do whatever. Sometimes um, that's great um with netflix often that hasn't been great you know for every Oakja and uh i don't feel at home in this world anymore there's just a plethora of other titles that are like
0: what war why, machine why they, what the fuck
1: is going on with this movie
0: war machine and
1: yeah war machine That's just the any one. other that have just made us tired and sad but um <laughs> with mute this is a passion project of duncan jones that he wanted. Even before Moon and um, Moon is largely the one that, you know, it sort of announced him as like a very unique filmmaker with a tone all his own. There was something very mournful and kind of like introspective that he brought to the, the science fiction genre. And so, you know, let letting him do whatever he wanted, you know, is probably enticing to most people who consider themselves fans of Moon and fans of Duncan Jones who went on to make source code and Warcraft. Neither one of us have seen Warcraft. So, um, (laughs) so we have mute, which like, you know, Netflix gave him like, you know, sizable budget, a great cast. Um, and early reports were that this movie was a mess, a disaster. Um, not early reports, but early reviews as they started rolling out. Um, And uh, I think you and I are sometimes like excited about that, that there's like, there's something thrillingly unpredictable about a movie that's, you know, that we, there might be a chance that it's a misunderstood masterpiece, Mm, you know, that you're just like, I'll make sense of this mess. Like this is, you know what? It's got something like going on for it. It's, it's, it's unpredictable and there's a thrill to that, but there's also movies that are genuine, impossibly impossible to disentangle messes where you're just like what what the what the fuck is this what are you doing what why are we following what there's no tone there's no coherence and tone to this movie and like that's unfortunately the sort of limbo that mute falls into it's a futuristic uh, set film about a Amish. <laughs> young man who was mutilated as a child and has not in the future undergone the transformative surgery that would allow him to uh, speak because his throat was slit as a child. And he's gone on to live in megalopolis uh, Berlin, you know, a, a a now future city that's glimmering much like blade runner. And, uh, he is in love with, um, one of the characters from the fifth element and, um, not really. Just <laughs> kidding. But, um, but uh, so like he's, he's in love with somebody. It becomes a, a detective story where he's trying to find this woman in this labyrinth of side characters, none of which pay off. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's a mess. And like, I just kept looking for what the good movie in the mess was. I was just like, well, is, is, Amish man in the future, a good movie, like a fish out of water story where an Amish guy is just trying to like find his way in the future. It's not for me, but at least like, that's like a identifiable kind of like tagline for a movie. I can't imagine what the fucking, like what the, the pitch was for this film. Cause like uh, in interviews recently, Duncan Jones was talking about how this was difficult to pitch to studios because uh, it was too depressing And it was just like, I don't know that that's the issue. Like it certainly is depressing in a thoroughly unrewarding way that I don't think suits any point that the film ultimately tries to make. But like, it's not just that it's depressing. It's a fucking mess on top of being depressing.
0: Yeah. Most definitely. dude. (laughs) That was my handoff. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah. Moving on. Enough said. Uh, yeah, no, uh, there's just there's so much to unpack about what's wrong with this movie. But yet we would be here for hours just trying to make sense out of, like you said, stuff that just does not make sense. Um, and I think the 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 things yeah. we can examine that are maybe valuable at this point beyond just saying, like, it's bad. It's a piece of crap in a lot of ways. It's a piece of crap that I sort of mercifully gave two stars because I feel like there is an attempt I don't know if it's an ambition with this movie. I, I guess you could miss, it, it could be mistaken for ambition, but I think there is an attempt to do something weird and singular with this movie in a very familiar right. milieu. And like, what is oddly becoming all too familiar after uh, Blade Runner 2049, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's, it's really it, that the greatness of that film does no favors to this one. Uh and, ultimately really makes this movie feel cheap in comparison. But even without Blade Runner 2049, if that didn't come out before this, I think this movie would still look cheap and just sort of be unfortunate. And, Uh, It it does seem to be a man. It's one of those things we want Netflix or whoever can step in, even if it even if we have issues or we find the release strategy problematic for places like Netflix or we wish it could be done other ways to keep the theatrical experience alive for for great movies they've made, as you've cited Oak Jaw. Uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, Uh, The Meyerwitz Stories. These are some really good... uh, Mudbound. These are great. Mudbound is up up for several Oscars this year, and deservingly. These These are great films that... I'm just glad that they're being made and that they're out there. That's fine. I can live with that. Right. But they're also gonna get these examples where they sort of give this final cut a real actual budget and real resources to a filmmaker like Duncan Jones. And you might, and I would cite war machine as a good example of what that that's, what mute is like in terms of disappointment from the director involved Uh, war machine, maybe hurt more because I think David Michaud is a better filmmaker at this point than Duncan Jones, but that's just whatever that's details. we are getting into this thing where we want to celebrate this kind of vision to make something weird, but fuck in the end, it's gotta be a good movie. And this is well, yeah, right from the beginning is is a bad movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that there's, there's just a series of unmotivated actions taken by characters, characters that like, there's so much of it feels purposeless. Like the journey of the actual character being mute. Like for one, it's just like, that could serve a, you know, like a, a very cathartic purpose in the end. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, say, the one of the characters from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Let me know if this is too deep of a cut. I'm with uh, you. Dude. I'm with you. He is mute. Can't speak. He's in a mental institution. And at the right moment uh, in the climax of the film, screams and frees all his friends. Like, Great that paid off that lets like that character arc pays off in the end mm-hmm. and it's one of the best of the nightmare and elm tree franchise. Anyway, moving on, agreed, um, agreed. Not, not like not really having a sense of purpose to that character's journey in mute. Also, there's no real reason it needs to take place in the future, you know, like, yeah. And then having side characters that kind of play into this like puzzle piece, uh, like, finale where everybody's kind of tied together that you've been introduced to like it doesn't it just seems unmotivated unfocused and just like a general kind of like mess like which sorry to overuse that word but like there's really no other way to describe it because like you know, there there can be something, you know, excitingly unpredictable about seeing like throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. But unfortunately, the movie is watching what's fallen onto the floor and not stuck. And so it's just like <laughs> a just a just disaster of unstickable pieces of shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's put that. Is it too late, Netflix? Can we put that quote on the poster, please? <laughs> yeah,
1: I could just leave it as a review and then feel bad and delete it.
0: Oh man, remind me of that quote so I can. I, I'm quoting that man. It's going. It's going Cash. on on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this one is one of those movies, and it is an equally bad one. Or I don't know, maybe whatever. It's it's also bad, like Southland Tales, a movie that we've been on like right. as just having. It's just a mess, and uh, you liked High Rise, the Ben Wheatley jg ballard adaptation you liked that more than me i came around to it on a second viewing but it's a similar kind of it's a gosh at this point high rise is like the sort of successful end of the pendulum in my eyes for this kind of messy type. yeah i
1: I think it has a coherence in its tone even if that even if it's atonal and in that sense just feels like a sort of like just a, a downward trajectory of like, you know, just, feel, just, a, it's a feel bad movie, but at least that tone has a coherence to it. And it's, motivated. And at least there are, there are some stunning visuals in it to like pay off, like in the, in the course of like watching the story unfold is like, Oh, that was really, that was really cool. That was a cool image. You know, like mute just feels like uh the 19, like the, the cyberpunk, idea uh stunted in the early to mid 90s and like just never developed past that and so it's just like you're watching a 1995 version of what the future would look like which as i'm saying it it does sound much more compelling than it comes across on netflix when you're watching mute but um (laughs) yeah yeah it's just like it's the like none of like the shortcomings in the action you know which like if it's a science fiction movie there should be if if it's a science fiction film. There should be an intelligence to it that I feel is lacking. Oh yeah. Um, There should be like a sense of spectacle that, you know, despite having a sort of boilerplate blade runner look like there's really not much to the design. That's all that sort of stunning. Like I feel like Johnny mnemonic looks better maybe. Um, Yeah. yeah. But like the actual finale of the movie, like it's shot in a like very there's, there's like a fight sequence that happens that's at a hazy distance that I think is to mask a lack of coordination with the action. (laughs) And they actually cut away from what has been built up to be a climactic fight between the main character and who's established early on as like a threat. They Mm -hmm. cut away from it. And it's not interesting in a Raiders of the Lost Ark. He just shoots the guy with the swords way. It's just like, oh, you don't know how to shoot action. So it's like you're drawing attention to it by cutting away from it. You know, like, it's just fucking depressing.
0: So what's so weird about that is by all accounts, and this is what gets my brain cooking where I want to know more about how do these Netflix productions that they are funding from the beginning, not just buying at a festival. So Mute is, they made it. They put the money up for it. By all accounts, they give lots of resources, a big budget, that he needed to make this movie and sort of a final cut thing, but Mm -hmm. doesn't everything you're, I mean, everything we're sort of complaining about the movie is tends to be the example of something that often feels rushed in the production level, like just forced through, like what you're talking about, the action, my gosh, this movie has a, I guess you would call it a car chase where uh, Alexander Skarsgård drives extremely slowly chasing a drone in the air and mm-hmm. it is the most, it's it's sort of a microcosm of the movie. There's just, it's lethargically moving forward. There's no real purpose. I know why he's chasing the thing, but there's just, there seems to be almost no attempt to give it any sort of thrill or tension or stakes. It's just, or it's the attempt was to do something so opposite of what um, Duncan Jones said the inspiration was for that sequence was... Fucking French connection. Did you feel the French connection at all while watching that sequence at all? No, I remember him,
1: uh, him mentioning the French connection had entirely forgotten about, he mentions it in the Mark Marin interview on yeah. WTF. Um, I had, while I was watching it, totally forgot it, which is probably <laughs> for the best. I mean, essentially, uh, I thought he was, which was unclear to me, which to me shows, You know how solidly the movie's put together, but I thought he was driving a antique car in pursuit of a flying car.
0: Right, something Um, like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like,
1: yeah, very good, Eric. Something flying. Um, (laughs) Like if you're gonna do this just double down. Like he's Amish, have him ride a fucking horse and buggy after a flying car. Let's just like go completely idiotic with this. I don't want to watch that movie either, but it's just like, what are we doing? What are like, why is this happening? Why is this set in the future? Why is this character mute? why like and like those things could all just be like i i now sound like a completely simplistic person who's demanding ambiguous art to be clearer but it's because like nothing pays off in this movie you know it's just like you have actors that i like watching all of a sudden just be like motivationless and just sort of like unsure of the tone of the movie that they're starring in you know, so it's just yeah. like, oh, this none none of it is exciting in the way that like so, uh, unpredictable things can be mm-hmm. or reckless things can be. It doesn't feel reckless. It just feels lost and sadly so.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, to, to wrap this one up, I feel like I, I just wanted to cite that uh, I'm probably going to drop a few minutes of the audio from from my interview with Duncan Jones. It's like 10 years old. I uh, was still living uh-huh. in, in Minnesota at the time, but I interviewed him for moon. It was going to premiere <clears throat> at a festival there. And he talked about mute and he, cause it, the word was out that that's what he wanted to make. And he was pitching it. The script was going around. So for a long time, even before moon, this is the movie that Duncan Jones yeah. wanted to make first. And he admitted well, that it, it could have been a crime movie. It could have been a low budget, just like present, like a modern movie, like a, a London gangster right. movie. It could have been all these things. And it does sort of point the way of like, it is very, it is extremely arbitrary that this is a science fiction, Blade Runner world. And Blade Runner was, he uh, it'll be in the quote that I think I'm going to drop in this episode because he talks about how he just can't get that movie out of his head. And he couldn't, when he thought of, of mute, But yet he took all the odd, weird – he took all the wrong lessons, I would say, from the first Blade Runner. Blade Runner is a noir movie that could have been just an actual noir, but the story it tells and the characters it follows required it to be in the future because it has to deal with artificial intelligence and the technology and all that. Mute, as you pointed out, Mute has no reason for him to be – Amish or mute, but those are potentially interesting, weird ideas. There's a pedophile character played by Justin Throw in this movie that is actually given sympathetic speeches and uh, perspectives in this movie that could be interesting, but not in the bizarre tonal mishmash that this movie ends up being. It just all comes no, up. It as, feels
1: really irresponsible, Yeah. Like finally, and like yep. and inconsistent in terms of characters' motivations. We we're just like, now what are we doing? What are we doing with? okay what's paul rudd doing now he's furious at him now they're going to buy now they're going to get hamburgers what the fuck is going on like it's just this so there's no way to invest in anything going on because it's it's also inconsistent and it's not unpredictable it's inconsistent
0: i remember feeling this way after cloud atlas which uh Is adapted from a book that people love and the Wachowskis made it and there are some people that really took to that film like cinephile geek crowd people that really loved it but I just feel like Mute is a cloud atlas where it's like there's we want to love movies like this we want them to be made but this is not the one in my opinion it's just like cloud atlas where it's like god there's just so much potential and it's so much of it is just just squashed and it's mute. Isn't quite as awfully hilarious as like another Wachowski's movie, Jupiter ascending. And I would rather watch a Jupiter ascending because it's so bad that it's funny over mute, which is just this lethargic, lifeless, humorless, just, just like slog, you know? And it's, it's very, it's very strange. God, it's, it's so brimming with potential originality. And then, None of it is used or paid off in the way that that you explained as well. So, it's a it's a weird one. I mean, we're we're gonna keep looking at movies like this. Netflix is gonna put more of these out. Amazon Amazon Studios and these places. But uh, I hope the I hope the percentage of quality starts to go up because by all accounts, you would think they have the resources to make these things. And in the end, it's not all Duncan Jones to blame, but he is the auteur. If there's any currency left in that word or to the idea of an auteur, or just a, the author of a film, man, he fucked this one up. And I, I think he should have taken more passes over the decade plus that he was working on the script because it feels like the first draft was never honed and man, it's a bad movie. It's just a bad movie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Cause he, he had this idea before moon and then kind of made moon in order to sort of establish like what he could do. And there was like, obviously an amount of like, he had minimal stuff, like in order to accomplish something um, affordable, but something with vision and scope and scale, like he, he had to have it be intimate. So it's like, it's a, it's a limited story in terms of like, it's a contained story. Sam Rockwell's character is in like a space station that's desolate and um, he's, you know, he's got the how type voice following him around. And then from there, it just starts to like unravel. And uh, I think because of its like intimacy and because of its scale being smaller, he didn't get lost in the details. And there's a strength to something, a simpler story that he could tell that. I think he just like, he, he, there's like, there's a strength to that. And I think that like, I just think that he should like maybe exercise that more, you know, in terms of like there, there isn't like the, it's ambitious to take on all these characters and to set it into like a very visually overwhelming world. But like if, if the story isn't there, if the momentum isn't there, then like, what do you really have?
0: Now, is your next feature? I've heard you're writing and you're developing Mute. Is that correct, or is, is my ah, information who told wrong? told you the name? Oh my God! I don't God, know. I know. I've got, got good sources, man. I'm <laughs> crafty. Wow, you are crafty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but talk about. Yeah. I heard it's a, it's another sci-fi thing. It is. It is. It's um. It's again talking about Blade Runner. I can't get away from that film. But I'm I'm well, a huge fan of that film. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and there are, there are, there are elements of that film. I don't think I don't feel anyone has really replicated since that film they've tried um, but they, they have tried and mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of you know dystopian future you know city-based films mm-hmm. but, but nothing that really grips me the same way that Blade Runner gripped me mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm trying to create a film which which does for other people what Blade Runner did for me we have to go back we have to go back now she's right I, I really don't know how much more right she has to be okay and I agree with you we should go back Good. Okay, great. There we go. Okay, so the three of us can just Hold pack on, up a minute. Our... Hold on. We should go back, yes, but it took us, what, six days to get here? And the coast is two days away. You're saying that we get out by going deeper in? Yeah, if you like, yeah. Like? No, I don't like. This isn't some tactic to get us to the lighthouse, is it? I believe that the coast is the best route out. Okay?
1: we can maybe transition into annihilation now let's do it because like here's a movie that, um, <clears throat> what it does is visually ambitious. It takes like multiple, it's a, it's an ensemble piece. It takes multiple characters, um, not multiple enough, a handful, <laughs> a smattering of, of, of women. And, uh, you know, like for, for how, um, like psychedelic, the movie ends up becoming in its science fiction vision. Like, I feel like the type of movies that like it recalls, they, they have these like moments and they have these visions that like pop. And you're like, I wish there was a dramatically involving narrative that would make these moments kind of sing and come to life because it's stunning to look at. And while I was watching Annihilation, I was just like, "This is this is the movie. This is the movie that has the dramatically involving narrative that makes all of the kind of like eye popping spectacle of it pay off." And um, it's uh, the second feature by Alex Garland, as we said, and um, based on a novel that he, you know, kind of veered off from uh, a lot of the ways that a lawnmower man veered off from its source material.
0: Oh, your reference, dude, just on point. (laughs) Thank you. I don't
1: know if they're on point, but, um, yeah. So, so it's, it, it involves a extraterrestrial like meteor that lands on earth and sort of, uh, from this like explosion at a lighthouse, this, uh, atmosphere starts expanding that begins enveloping everything around it. like gradually until like, you know, basically the military and scientists don't know how much of the world this like zone zone, um, uh, will eventually envelop. And, uh, we, we follow Natalie Portman's character who's a biologist into the story through, um, a, I don't know, like it's, it's hard to know like what, what you don't want to reveal mm, yeah, um in I'm terms hungry. of like spoilers cuz like i didn't know much of like you know the the spoiler material going in and it's like it's 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 an it's such an interesting ride into this like
0: realm um but uh yeah we' we're, we're, you you liked it didn 't you, Eric? I am a very big fan of this movie, yes, um, and I think we probably should have talked about this off mic, but uh, i 'm just going to throw it out there is i would i'm curious if you 'd want to uh at the end of this just talk because I want to we have to start sort of on a traditional review you know structure, I think, for this movie because we both want to champion this. This is last week's episode. We, there was a sort of a call for movies for adults at the theater and we got one the next week and it's annihilation. It's a great movie for adults. It's just a great film all around great science fiction film. And I definitely want to focus on that so we can maybe hopefully, you know, sway some people who might be on the fence or don't know about it. Go see this movie. But I do want to know if you, if it, we don't have to, but I would totally be down to do like a five or 10 minute breakdown of spoilers as to what maybe the end of this movie means Um, because it's that kind of movie. And we, people who haven't seen it could just stop and come back. Uh, But you let me know uh, if you want to do that. Uh, But uh, before I hand it off to you, I guess I just to just add on to my affection for this film, Alex Garland is the real deal. It's official. I mean, he's a director now. He's, written great scripts beyond the ones you referenced, uh, 28 days later is great. Uh, I like sunshine quite a bit. Danny Boyle also directed that, uh, the dread, uh, sequel or redo, I guess is really, really good. And he had a big hand in the script and, uh, I guess was there on set a lot for that movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I still wish I could have seen that movie in a theater in 3d as you did, because it's one of my great regrets because that is a visually stunning action movie. And I did, I really did. Maybe, maybe repertory uh, dread screenings will have to be in the future at some point, (laughs) but You
1: you don't often think about movies that have come out in the last like 10 years that, you know, would get a repertory screening, but you know, that's one of them because it was largely missed by most audiences, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just to bring, you could bring back great examples of modern 3d. There aren't that many. It could be a cool little series. It, I, I agree. I I've actually thought about that and it would be fun. Uh, and I hope that day comes, Uh, but annihilation uh, forget all that doesn't need 3d. doesn't need any of that shit. It's, it's not about that. It's just great filmmaking. And for me, it's the, um I guess technically my second first uh <laughs> my second great movie I've seen this year. Uh there's another one coming up probably in a soon to be future episode that we'll get to uh that I really loved, but right now Annihilation is just the clear cut. This is just the first real great release of 2018 for me and uh I want to hand it off to you from there, man.
1: Um so yeah, this this movie I think like uh there was something I feel like the the two films having nothing to do with each other have a conflation in the sense that, that like they're people who the, the role of going to the theater, like the type of movie that they're going to the theater for these aren't representative of, even though they are like, you know, spectacles um, there, there still is like, I, I think the general uninformed opinion is like, well, that doesn't look good. And it's like, it doesn't look good to you because, like, you have no frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's depressing that the audience isn't kind of rising to the occasion, like, for different, for a variety of different types of movies. And I think that panic is felt in studios because it's like, you know, a studio like Paramount that, you know, rolled the dice on a Darren Aronofsky movie yep. that was, like, really ambitious and to me, a hateful experience that I, I wouldn't revisit. But that's okay because, like, there was, <laughs> ambition and like grit on screen, and a uh, and a sense of just like vitality to it, and uh, and a liveliness that is kind of like missing from a lot of sort of like bug eyed spectacles nowadays. And um, so that movie didn't do well. And, um, you know, but they, they doubled down and we're just like, well, we, you want us to make different types of movies. Like this is what we're doing. I think they released a statement that said as much, they did, you know, like we took, we took chances on an experimental movie. So it's like, this is, this was always the risk. And so annihilation, another paramount endeavor. Um, I think they maybe start to get wobbly. Cause they're like, this still is a $40 million movie. That's not nothing. That's pretty expensive. Um, and so like a lot of markets are getting it i think a little bit after the fact just uh straight to netflix yes which is which is another way to conflate the two movies yeah um but the the difference is that like i mean there's gigantic difference between the two movies but like this movie is successful at what it's at what it sets out to do And there's a, there's a tone. There's a sense of like scale. There's an atmosphere. There is a sense of like innovation in the visuals and like a sense of just ingenuity. And there's just like, there's, there's scenes in this movie that you could wander through like a museum where you're just like, Holy shit. That's, that's stunning to look at. Holy shit. That's devastating to look at. Yeah. And then it's tied together through, I think what is a very dramatically successful narrative this team that goes into this kind of like contaminated zone that like no one's returned from that's the it's the sort of like the the plot of the movie is that like this team of uh is it five? Yep. Five women. Yeah. Five women go into this zone that's developed out of this crash site and uh no one's returned yet and so there is something I don't know like there's I think that like people who are, who don't get on board with um, the, who are just not convinced by either the performances, the writing, the tone, the atmosphere, they can start to pick apart like, well, who, who's leading this expedition? Who's the, who's in charge of anything? Why do these people, why do they just get machine guns and wander into it? And it was just like, I think that you can find holes in the logic, but what they're not doing is, they're not seeing the the analogs in other films that like you're willing to give a sort of like pass and permission to movies like, you know, Tarkovsky who's been name dropped a bunch in like reviews about this movie, mm-hmm. you know, like stalker and Solaris and stuff like that. Like you don't really question the logic of those. Cause there is a sort of kind of creeping nightmarish logic to everything. And I think that that's not to say that there isn't in, an intelligence to the science of this movie. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that there is a sort of like larger nightmare logic that this film falls into that, like it doesn't always make sense. And then that pays off like because of the nightmare, the movie inevitably becomes. And, um, like the zone itself is like someplace where people could potentially not this. It's called the shimmer, not yeah. the zone. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's stalker. That stalker. <laughs> But that's immediately what I got. I got
0: out and I turned to oh, Courtney yeah. and I was like, the zone. She's yeah. like, oh, shut up. So, um, there's even a shot straight out of Stalker. It just lasts a lot less than the Tarkovsky <laughs> film. It's like the overhead of like fish in the water. I mean, it's a total. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's Solaris, right? Well, there's one in Stalker, but he shoots water in a lot of his movies. So, you know, um, it, it, it um, could be both. Hey, water is a big
1: theme in Mute. Who cares? Hey. Um, <laughs> so... So like the the imagery um, is is just like really exciting in this film and how like it recalls. Do you remember in 2015 when um, Deep Dream, like the Deep Dream generator or whatever it was called, where you could feed imagery into an AI and it yes. would come up with this weird kaleidoscopic vision?
0: Yes, that is a
1: great- kind of like what a lot of the the film looks like you know while still maintaining the composure of a kind of like swampy forest landscape it starts to like fragment and turn into this like kind of kaleidoscopic vision and maintaining what pays off in genre movie moments like while having this kind of like crazy kaleidoscopic vision it's like that's not easy Mm -hmm. you know and like And this has some of the most genuinely terrifying sections in it where it's just like, that's innovative and like the imagery itself is innovative. And it's just like to, to like synergize that, you know, in a movie landscape where like most people don't even remember what the fuck happens. They just walk out and go, that was great. You know? And like, they don't, like hearing the gasp of like one of, I think the most terrifying sections of this movie after it finally relents, you know, where you you just, I just heard the audience go like, Oh Jesus. Like, yep. And like that's so those moments are so rare. One for like, the reason that like most movies just don't shut up long enough to have a moment of quiet and, uh, and that there isn't just much to remember or respond to, mm-hmm. you know, other than having your obligatory TRL like explosion of applause. She's like, I like that movie.
0: I think, you
1: know, and <laughs> so uh, I don't
0: know. Is that mean? Is no, that mean? no, 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 not at all. It's fun. It's all in good fun. I Garland has something that I really, Came to appreciate um, the first viewing. I've seen Annihilation twice now, and it is a movie that plays very well on repeat viewings. Uh, it's a fun one to re-watch when you know where it goes. Um, but something I really, really locked into the first viewing of this movie with Garland is that <clears throat> unlike, say, like a Christopher Nolan who likes to um some might say overcomplicate his storytelling or his narrative strategy. Um, I I tend to not think that, but I am willing to admit the man makes, he tells things in a complex, complicated way. Alex Garland is in a way sort of the opposite because this is a very complex story. It's a very complex uh, thematic, uh, a lot of complex themes going on that he's mixing and then actual straight up science fiction and horror elements, as you've referenced, he's, he's mixing all this together, but he has a very straightforward, almost, Quasi like no bullshit, like plow ahead. Let's, I want to give you, like his characters talk with like no, there's no like BS between them. They kind of say what's on their mind. They get to the point and then they deal with it. And Natalie Portman's character is a really great conduit for like what this movie needs to accomplish because it's all written in the characters. There might be logic gaps. I, the watching it again today, Annihilation, I kept thinking like, did they have to just walk into the shimmer? You know, do they have to just slowly make their way through it? Or could they just like ride a boat on the coast and meet the lighthouse? Like you could come up with these things that like, Hey, why don't they explain that? I I think you were kind of getting that elements of maybe logic gaps you could find in the movie, but the movie in a way is written that way. It's all about the logic gaps because what we learn happens when they enter this, Science fiction fantastical area, Area X, or the shimmer as it's known, which in another way looks like a giant soap bubble where all you see is these refracting psychedelic color schemes and, and foam and, and everything and changed DNA of plants and animals. It's so cool, uh, the sandbox that is played with in this movie to give you new concepts, new ideas. But Garland has this very straightforward way of writing characters that are intelligent, that don't have time to bullshit and just want to get to the point because they don't have time for that because they're too smart. And it drives the plot forward. And then you enter this area where the movie sets in and all bets are off because as we learn about it, a logic and uh, sort of disintegration and uh, confusion is what this shimmer does. It's part of what it does is it... Um, I I think it's not too spoilery to say, although I know I don't really want to get into the details of what The Shimmer does. It's fun to discover that. Let's just say it changes things for whoever or whatever exists within its boundaries. And the, the talk about a loaded premise of just so much potential. And it is not a cheap movie, but it's also not a $200 million Disney movie. So it's made on a resourceful budget. Uh, A much bigger one than Alex Garland had for Ex Machina. But just like that movie, he simplifies things and he writes it in the characters and the story to give you reasons for why the things are happening. He just doesn't like he just doesn't take the time to give overt like he he gives like subtle exposition. I feel like he's he'll hold your hand a little bit as an audience member, but he wants you to figure it out. And I like that coupled with his no nonsense uh, storytelling. I just think makes him really interesting and exciting as a filmmaker right now
1: mm-hmm yeah he um it's i'm excited to see like what he's moving on to work on a i think a tv show for fx and right, right. but like there's just something so immersive about annihilation you know and ex machina and uh, just about his kind of like vision for like motion pictures and there's like the the sound design is so enormous and overwhelming in this movie Definitely. and like just there's just, there's just so much like inherently cinematic about it. and um,
0: It has a build, a slow build that is so rewarding, right? Like it's hard to pay off yeah. in these kind of movies. I, I remember we really liked Midnight Special, the Jeff Nichols movie. But I, I remember a lot of people at the theater where I work, where it was playing, sort of underwhelmed by the... Event ending the and it has a similar buildup of like something science fiction and fantastical is going to be revealed and special effects will be involved (laughs) and I liked how it worked in that movie but I heard a lot of people complaining. I, I'm sure some people will feel that way with Annihilation, but man, I would have to really like dig. I would want to examine why, like, because oh, to me, I feel like the payoff is really strong in this film, and it. I never knew where it was gonna go. I haven't read the book in advance, mm-hmm. um, and it, apparently, it might not have mattered because it takes its own path, but. Man, I loved being strung along by this film, by a confident filmmaker, a really great cast. I mean, Natalie Portman, you mentioned, she's the lead, I think she's great. Oscar Isaac returning again with Garland after being an ex machina, and he he takes a secondary role in this movie. It's very important, his, mm-hmm. his character, and I love what he does in a little bit of screen time, but this movie is all about the women, and not in a sort of cynical, me too, capitalizing way I feel like I just feel like the time was right to tell this angle on a science fiction story and there's a there's a reason we have Natalie Portman and Tessa Thompson great new actress that's out there right now Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee I love in this movie yeah she is cold hearted and she knows exactly what she what notes she had to play as for her character in this movie. And she nails it. And it's she does no favors to the audience because they're going to wonder, like, what is the deal? You got to you got to follow the carrot on the stick in this movie and just trust. And I trust this filmmaker right away because he's just so confident in his like no bullshit storytelling. I, I love that. Um, but yeah, the cast is so strong and this is a, this is a feminine story. It's, it's very deliberately noted that women are going to go on this expedition because all the previous unsuccessful ones that entered the shimmer were, uh, I think the two important things were they were all male and they were military based and that's different. And I, I think that's a really intelligent, um, uh, sort of angle. Like that's a new entry point for this kind of science fiction film, And it also helps elevate it and makes it, even though it's based on a familiar, it's based on an existing property, by all means it could be franchised because there's a trilogy of these books, but there's no need for this to be anything more than just this film with a a fairly open-ended ending, but it also closes its loop, I think, in a lot of ways. I, I just think it's such a successful film that got made for reasons of you're getting into of the sort of big budget filmmaking, that's in Disney, the Disneyfication of movies, this had Mm -hmm. to play into that realm. It's adapted from something, but man, does it take its own path and still create something that feels original, even though technically it's not, I, I love that that happened with this movie.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, uh, he's, he's obviously like, you know, a really good writer and he knows how to, how to establish characters succinctly and how to like, kind of kind of get to, to access moments that are necessary through like with an economy, you know, for, for time. And he works really well with actors, you know, like, cause he, he has these, this incredible cast, you know, Gina Rodriguez is also in the team of women that go into the she shimmer. Is and great. she's she She's great. She's amazing. Yeah. And, um, and I think that scenes, that have really stuck out to me in a lot of genre movies in the past couple of years um, as like just being like indicating what types of scenes they are. And I think for an audience that's getting like kind of, there's a danger of them getting more and more removed. So things can be kind of like uh, just phoned in in terms of like yeah yeah yeah, that that, that scene yeah sure 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 sure. you you get it you get it you know like we were talking about just like the rushed storytelling and things being like indications of what they should be accomplishing when they're not actually accomplishing them yeah like i think a movie that you and i split on not on mike because we didn't ever talk about it but arrival like i think there's just a handful of scenes that are indicating what types of scenes they are without actually dramatically achieving them you know, it's like, here's a, a teary soap commercial looking, um, uh, you know, like tree of life type, you know, uh, sequence where I actually couldn't think of the fucking director's name for a second, but um, I'm
0: going to but you so along. like, yeah. What, what's that? I was just fucking with you. Um, uh, Denis Villeneuve. Is that what you're thinking of? Or Terrence? No, Malick? no. <laughs> Terrence Malick. I'm sorry.
1: And I had thought of it at that point, but anyway, <laughs> So just like, I just never felt like a movie achieved the sort of like dramatic impact that it was sort of like telegraphing. It was like, yeah, this is that type of scene. And like Annihilation kind of beautifully actually achieves the the drama required where it's like it cuts to a flashback between Natalie Portman's character and Oscar Isaac's character. And it's like it's a reprieve from the kind of like doomed momentum of the movie where it's like the two of them in in a flashback where they're in bed together just like kind of making small talk and it's like it's written with like there's just something poetic about the intimacy of it there's like there's just a genuine interplay between the two of them you sense their chemistry which like you never really got from amy adams and jeremy renner and arrival and it was just like yeah you get it you get it they're gonna it's they're gonna wind up together it's fine spoiler alert (laughs) but anyway so um So it's just like watching scenes like that play out where I was like, wow, I was genuinely invested in their actual exchange and it has nothing to do with the sort of forward momentum of the plot itself. And then when they establish the team of women going into the shimmer in uh, annihilation, it's done with the kind of economy that I've always admired aliens for, where it's just like, everybody gets their sort of like moment to establish themselves. It's not overly showy or sort of like overly phoned in, you know, it's just sort of like there's a, there's a beautiful economy to everything established and yeah, it was just like watching, you know, you, feeling like you're genuinely in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, even if like what they're doing is unconventional and sort of like excitingly unpredictable, which, you know, like that's, I think, where the two movies we discussed are at like opposite ends of the spectrum where it's just like, I don't feel like, you know, what you're doing, <laughs> you know, with mute <laughs> and with Alex Garland, it's like, holy shit, I really feel like, you know, what you're doing. And I'm frightened of where like you're taking the audience right now. (laughs) And I think that like, I just, you know, we need the audience to keep showing up for types of films like this. So they can have a place rightfully in movie theaters, which I know this is a point that we just beat into the earth, but it's just like,
0: more variety in the
1: theaters, keep the theatrical experience alive. And like, I've heard people just like now being like, let the movie theaters died. It's like, what? No, I I don't want that. You know? Word. So like, this is, this is definitely keeping the excitement alive in the
0: dark where, you know, we want to be. So, um, yeah. It doesn't need to be an aberration movies like annihilation. It just, it just doesn't need to be There's There are ways to make these things work and it's bizarre sort of like piecemeal release strategy that they've decided on might've been the smartest move in terms of, Protecting their investment, Paramount Pictures, and okay, that's great. I, I'm sorry that a lot of people in the rest of the world will just not get to see this on a big screen, but mm-hmm. you know what? I'll watch this movie on Blu-ray again. I if it's on Netflix in America after its theatrical release, I'll watch it again on there, and I'll I'll be glad to have it on there. and And that's great. The movie got made. That's great. But I'm with you. It, it, we're going to continue drilling that into our audiences ears is like let's not let the theatrical experience die the ones that you care about the theaters the actual places and the movies you want to see there it all it all matters you know like the information, we all know this information. We're, we're, we're too intelligent now to plead ignorance. Or we're The information is too readily available to plead ignorance on this stuff. So, yeah, I don't, no reason for us to to stop shouting that, Joe, I think. But um, yeah. I think before, I, I feel like we're sort of winding down and, and that's fine. And uh, But do you have any interest in doing like a five or ten minute spoiler breakdown or you just want to let the movie sit and, and we, we, we just let it be? What do you think? Um, I think maybe let it be just okay. because... I you
1: know like you just watched it again for the second time, so it's like there. This it's just gonna be me going. Oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, that's true. It is like a beanie baby that comes to life and attacks her. That's true.
0: <laughs> yeah, the beanie baby scene that was terrifying. Exactly. All right, fair enough. I'm 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 happy to let it sit. Uh, I've been geeking out and talking about this movie with like my girlfriend or anybody else that has happened to have seen it already that is willing to listen or talk about it. It it has been a movie I've talked with several people about over hour-long, hours and hours-long conversations. So, it's one of those movies. It's seriously entertaining. I mean, this is a director that does not want... He wants to challenge and entertain. He makes movies... He likes the kind of movies that we do. It's very clear, and he wants to make more of them. And that's great. And it's amazing, because I think it's really hard to pull off legitimately good um we've called them poly genre movies in the past uh or you know just um, genre mashup movies and this Mm -hmm. is this is such a successful science fiction movie it's a very successful horror movie like a sort of in the woods backwoods sort of like the animals are hunting us horror movie it is legit man it is legit the the scenes you're referencing we won't even say what fucking animals are stalking these women but it's scary and it's there are original ideas at play in the horror elements and original ideas in the science fiction elements and then the character and story and visuals all that stuff is really really well done too so um yeah it's it's a good movie uh, it, it's it's a very very good movie so i'm sure we'll be talking about it if not throughout the year yeah, the podcast the, later on yeah you're not
1: going to shut up about this movie um I know, I'm yeah sorry. the <laughs> The source material, Jeff Vandermeer. I haven't read Annihilation or any of the other trilogy, but I read his latest one, and he just has like a like in his in the only book I've read of his, like it has a cinematic vision that um, that just like that's borders on the ridiculous at times, especially <laughs> in the new one. It's called Born with an E, okay. B O R N E, and uh, it's just like it, there there's such a sense of sense of exaggeration in the prose or in the imagery in the prose that like it, it has a sense of you want to see it uh, demonstrated cinematically, but it's so hard to pull it off without it being ridiculous. And I think Alex Garland is somebody who is able to access the, the visionary qualities of the text while never coming across as ridiculous, which is like no easy task for something as ambitious as annihilation proves to be.
0: Most definitely, man. Here, here. Uh, I'm happy leaving it there, man. Why don't we wrap this one up? Sure. Go see this fucking movie. Please, people. There, There is time. <laughs> Go see it, please. Um, you will not be sorry, I think. Um, so, yeah, let's wrap up. Uh, well, maybe you will be sorry, but let us know, you know email us at yeah. adjust your tracking at gmail.com <laughs> um, but yeah let's wrap up this episode episode 168 of adjust your tracking
1: so just chill to the next episode
0: you can find all of our episodes at the playlist.net uh, you can click on the podcast tab or uh, and find us and all our other shows there. You can find us on Facebook um, at adjust your tracking. I think I'm talking over you now, Joe, this is supposed to be your info. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just going to absorb part of you over this episode. Is that okay? Yeah, I wasn't listening. So uh, which, which ones <laughs> did you name off? Just keep tuning out, dude, until the bear comes along and, and you know, hunts us down. Just, wow. just...
1: I thought we weren't going to give spoilers, but kudos.
0: I'm, I'm a dick like that. Oh, well, um, uh, yeah, so uh, I've pretty much said it all. You can find me at Adjust Your Track uh, tweeting for us and for my own personal uh, thoughts. Um, we'd be very, very thankful uh, if, you, if you checked any of those out, if you listen to more episodes, if you spread the word of AYT, we'd be very thankful. But uh, nowhere near as thankful as I am to get to talk with you, Joe, um, especially when we can go beyond cyberspace. That's a reference <laughs> to the sequel to Lawnmower Man.
1: Oh, God! I got it, got it. it. Uh, Joe <laughs> What's, uh, what's the sequel to The Lormar Man, Job's War or something like that?
0: No, no. It's called Beyond Cyberspace. I looked it up. <laughs> you did? Yeah, because you, you referenced it. And I was like, I know there's a sequel, but I don't remember what the fucking oh, like, colon title is. But maybe there's a third one. I, I couldn't find that in my quick search. No,
1: I think it, maybe it was initially co- titled Job's War. And then uh, <laughs> they're like, that, fuck
0: that title. That,
1: that, does, that doesn't track well. So uh, let's, uh, let's go with Beyond Cyberspace. <laughs> Which was the, the sweet spot that um, of like, you know, dystopian forward thinking that um, Mute comes out of. So if you want to have like a 1995 cyberpunk film festival, Mute's going to be in there with you, <laughs> despite having nothing to do with the Internet.
0: Thanks for talking with me, Joe.
1: Thanks.